0: Hello, my name is Christine Murray, Editor-in-Chief of The Developer, and welcome to The Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to make cities worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings as much as the buildings themselves. As COVID reshapes our approach to work and downtown, I'm really interested to be speaking to Claire Cockerton today. She's a founder, CEO, and advisor on innovation workspaces, districts, corporates, and startup programs, and has been involved in some very high-profile tech clusters, including Level 39, the UK's largest fintech accelerator, which took over a floor in Canary Wharf, and Plexol, an innovation center on the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. Now these tech clusters tend to have this um, intense community of uh, digital founders, um, sharing a workspace, sharing services and being really geographically placed. So I wanted to ask Claire about the way forward for that business model and her thoughts on how the workspace itself is going to change. So hi Claire, thanks for being here today. Tell us who you are and what it is that you do.
1: Thank you so much for having me. My name is Claire Copperton. I'm Canadian, grew up in the country north of Toronto and did an undergraduate degree in fine art and architecture. So I've always been interested in the built environment and the natural environment. Uh, I'm now a specialist in building innovation centres, predominantly focused on technology innovation in particular verticals. But it's been a it's been a long journey to to get here. So my first business was a landscape architecture company specializing in environmental sustainability. We tried to build gardens that used environmentally friendly construction techniques, indigenous plant materials, uh, non gas powered machines. Really trying to help the city of Toronto move towards a more green way of operating the the, the outdoor spaces. Uh, And I sold that in 2009 to a commercial developer who integrated our IP into what they were doing. And I came to the UK to do an MBA at Imperial College. And what I specialized in at uh, Imperial was the design of spaces and services to support entrepreneurs and innovators, helping them get their ideas and businesses off the ground. So I wrote my thesis on that. And I studied technology transfer institutions, I studied corporate incubators, and also technology clusters, which have emerged around the world. Uh, And since then, I've been building those kinds of spaces and running that kind of service for entrepreneurs who are really trying to get their company into markets that struggle to evolve um, with the times. So, A couple recent projects have been uh, in Canary Wharf in London, which is a new city environment in in, uh, London in the UK. Uh, We designed a, a financial services technology accelerator space there called Level 39 on the 39th floor and really focused on fintech. Innovation. So we were working with young fintech companies who were trying to sell into the banks or indeed become nouveau uh, digital first banks um, themselves. Uh, and then uh, since then, I've uh, set up an innovation center on the Olympic Park called Plexel, which was on the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park in London where we ran the Olympic Games. And this was part of the London legacy strategy. So to create um, a destination for innovators and for technology entrepreneurs after the games. Uh, And since then, I've been uh, I run a consultancy called Copperton & Co. And we advise on the design and operations of innovation centers.
0: So starting with that Canary Wharf project uh, and also looking at the Olympic Park, what is it that makes a great tech community or what is it that you need to kind of set this up and what are the benefits?
1: Great question. So it starts with the infrastructure. We all need spaces to operate, spaces to convene and come together, spaces to meet and to work. So we usually design a really forward-looking working space with um, co-working spaces, small offices, meeting rooms, phone booths, uh, sandboxing-type spaces. So for 30 or 40 people who are maybe involved in a hackathon or kind of very intense working uh, program, an event space, uh, an executive club lounge where we invite mentors or investors. Um, and so the spaces try to, the spaces we design um, are trying to cater to lots of different types of stakeholders that are needed to come together and to cater to different types of working, either really intense engineering work, which needs quiet and privacy, um, to showcasing environments where you need event space to collaborative environments. Um, and so we usually design the infrastructure around the types of, um, individuals we want to come into this space and, um, and the kind of activities that we want to foster. And we do so, um, you know, with the latest, uh, aesthetic and, uh, in accordance with the industry. So if we were designing our FinTech, uh, Accelerator space. We're looking to appeal more to the banking um, aesthetic. Um, And if we were designing a kind of creative hub, we might um, go for a different type of aesthetic um, that's a little bit more edgy and arty. So you try to design the physical spaces and the aesthetic in accordance with the community. So it's the infrastructure layer. Then the second layer uh, for um, for us is really about, um, the services. And this is the special sauce. It's the, the programming, uh, and the business services that we run in the space to help the companies grow. Um, it's what attracts these companies to the space. And it's also what is essential for their development. So when I say business services, I'm talking about legal accounting, HR support, branding support, um, leadership and culture development. These are all critical uh, needs of any small and growing company. And then our programs are usually highly structured um, innovation programs or accelerator programs to help a company refine the product, access investors, grow, secure contracts, get to market faster. So the services and the programs are really critical to building the right kind of community and to uh, ensuring the success of the companies that come into these innovation centers. Those Uh, programs also bring the necessary stakeholders who aren't necessarily the tenants or the residents of the building, but are key stakeholders in an industry. So for example, um, we would bring in the regulator to have workshops and discussions and office hours with our um, fintech companies who needed to talk to the regulator about what what uh, rules apply to them um, and how to navigate the regulatory process um, or can a government stakeholder might come in or the investment community uh, might come in to investigate kind of deal flow um, in the space. And then finally, the third element to these, to these innovation centers is about curating a community. People who who um, aren't necessarily competitors but who operate in the same industry and it's very important that in my view when we're developing um, highly technical innovation centers that you need to specialize and you need to curate a community that's going to be uh, that's going to foster the right kind of culture of collaboration that's going to bring in the most industry expertise as possible and the, the greatest network effect. Um, and there are lots of co-working spaces around the world and we know the big names um, and they're, they're often quite generic. I think an innovation center needs to focus on one or two technologies or one or two industry segments to really have the power to bring all these pieces together.
0: So you've gone to this kind of office, you know, we kind of understand what's going on, you know, within that building and within that group, and then these kind of buildings circling around that. And then when we zoom out to the wider space, I mean, these feel like, like, like alien colonies in some, in some ways, uh, these kind of tech, tech clusters. So what is the connection? What, what connection do you need? Or is there any connection to the, the wider place? And are there I mean, can you be in a in a in the shed in a shed in the middle of um nowhere uh and and have the same effect or is there a relationship between the wider place and the tech cluster
1: yeah great great question i realize i didn't answer your you know, what are the benefits of um of these kind of spaces that's a really important question and it's linked so um these very intense spaces and communities of innovation and um the development of new technology it's it, it's important it happens within a, a wider uh, environment. So in Canary Wharf, um, the wider environment were these large organizations, incumbent banks who were seeking to uh, understand and attract and maybe adopt and buy this new technology. So they had a they had a reason to engage with this smaller, intense innovation cluster. Because they were interested in the technology, they wanted to scope out the competition, um, and for them, uh, it brought greater value of being in Canary Wharf. So, if you were if you are a property developer, landowner. An innovation cluster can be a a tenant uh, attraction strategy, so it can bring new tenants in and a more diverse array of tenants, and it can also be a retention strategy, so it holds large corporate tenants because... The innovation cluster is usually a really hot, buzzy space of activity whereby, you know, talent is quickly developed, new technologies are developed. Um, there's um, a lot of thought leadership is coming out of these um, innovation clusters. And so it's quite beneficial to be around them because you're getting a lot of um, cutting edge information about the, the market and about um new technologies. So that's p- part of the benefit of the the overall space. I think also the the innovation cluster is it's it's it is like an incubator. It's where one, two, five, 10 person type size companies come, um, try their idea out in the marketplace, grow, create jobs, hire people, and then they need more space. So um oftentimes developers will take a a million square foot development put a 100,000 square feet aside for an innovation cluster and then the graduates the companies that graduate and grow out of that innovation center become these longer term larger tenants within the estate and so there's a really nice flow deal flow pipeline of tenants that come from the innovation center into the larger estate and vice versa Larger companies like to be close to these highly energetic, um, permeable environments um, of technology and entrepreneurship.
0: I know you've been involved in women in tech and women shift digital. And when I think of tech clusters or I think of innovation centers, I often think of them as very tech male, non-diverse spaces. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about uh, making these spaces, uh, you know, what is it that makes these supportive of women in tech? I mean, can the spaces themselves do things if you're setting up a a tech innovation cluster? Can you make it, um, you know, more, uh, attract more diverse? or be more inclusive towards women? Are there strategies for that?
1: Absolutely, um, and we're just starting to realize the how, how we designed our world in accordance with the quote-unquote typical person who tends to be a middle-aged white man, um, and we're realizing there's a massive data gap around what are female preferences for working, for socializing, for presenting, um, what, what do we find productive environments, what and how do we like to structure our day? Um, and this is all data that's just coming to surface. So, from a design perspective, our spaces need to be different, more inviting, more inclusive. We need to have spaces for. We need to think about childcare. Um, we need to think about breastfeeding. We need to think about um, other um, other working. T- patterns in a day because women tend to have slightly different working patterns than men. There are a lot of social and cultural expectations around our working patterns. So we need to consider all of those things as we're designing the spaces, aesthetics and function. And then um, for me, the it's just going to take too long to really get enough women leading new businesses in the technology sector so we need to design programs and support services specifically for female founders and i've run a number of these fin for Fem and plexiglass um, and these are programs which are designed to provide subsidized services mentorship a network connections to investors for women and uh, an environment to develop their company um, I think I think women in the in the technology industry and many industries and um, and in the business environment face so many hurdles. along the investment journey around hiring people, um, around pre- presenting their credibility in that business environment. And I think as an organization, we also need to start to talk about that and surface these issues uh, more regularly. So I think from a cultural standpoint, um, we need to we need to take stands on these matters. And we need to say we're running a space. We need to make sure that this is a safe space. It's well lit. Um, We call out sexual harassment. We make sure that it's clear that we are running a space that's safe and inclusive. And if if we own that building, Why shouldn't we take some responsibility for that? Maybe we should put up signs that say, please be respectful. You know, we don't appreciate kind of catcalling or (laughs) any kind of negative comments to one another. And we just don't do that. I think in the real estate industry, we tend to be a bit more passive. And maybe we need to start signaling socially what kind of behaviors that we expect um, in our spaces
0: does transport come into that transport nodes and connectivity? Because we, we, I've, I've been reading about, you know, women are predominant pedestrians. They're the predominant bus riders. They're often trip chaining and doing multiple trips. So does the location of the tech cluster potentially impact, um, inclusive, inclusive, uh, design? Excellent point. Yes. Um,
1: and I think in the winter months in, in London, uh, and in particular in areas that aren't d- super busy and very well lit, um, it, that's a, that's a huge issue. And I think to, w- what we did at, um, at Plexos, we had people who were standing along the transport journey, um, from the overground and from the tube station who were kind of custodians of that journey. Um, uh, but it, it it's definitely a concern. and women are riding bikes, they're walking, they're they're more exposed. Um, so we have to consider not just our physical spaces but also how are people getting here and are do they feel safe um, during that process? and is there if there is if something occurs,, um, how do we address it? how do we report it? how do we address it? And I think that's uh. There's a a great uh, business that was actually in one of my uh, accelerator programs. It's called Safe in the City, and uh, and it's run by a friend of mine, Jillian Kowalchuk, and she uh, has an app which reports uh, any kind of sexual harassment or um, safety matters or whether there's a lighting issue on the street, and it helps starts to map out uh, journeys, these transport journeys to and from buildings things like that can be very important to start to surface the data. And so we can start to uh, put in the right kind of infrastructure support system to make sure there's safer journeys.
0: So I want to ask you about what you've seen through the COVID crisis. I mean, we're talking about cities, tenancies, offices changing. So what have you been observing about changes to uh, some of the developments that you've been um, involved in and maybe wider observations have these uh this way of working that you describe with its um you know uh, services coming in to quite intense clusters in order to to do innovation is that moving online is that changing is the need for that returning and and how do you see these um workspaces and tendencies um changing as we return to uh a, a, a new normal mm-hmm. yeah great
1: question i think um we're st- we're in the midst of this change, so it's very hard to make definitive statements about the impact because we're actually not back in offices <laughs> yet um, uh for the most part I think the technology community and the innovation process really depends on proximity, serendipity, being able to just quickly nip into someone's office and say, I really need a great uh, lawyer. I need, or I need this, or I've got this issue. What would you do? Um, Because building a business, it's rapid fire. You need quick Um, highly accessible information and resources. And that's quite possible in a really dynamic and busy environment. It's less possible when we're working remotely and virtually. It means what doesn't get scheduled on a Zoom call just doesn't happen. If you don't pick up the phone, it requires so much more um, work scheduling um, and really sweating your network to make the same things happen for your company now. Um, this being said, I think, so I think people always want to work with one another, but from what I know of the a small business environment community right now, um, everyone is seeing the the success, the successes and the opportunities of virtual working, um, which means their teams have started to go um, to live in different places and have started to um, be closer to family and they don't feel like they all have to get a expensive two-bedroom apartment or one-bedroom apartment in London. They can be in other locations and that creates other auxiliary benefits for people. So I think it also, uh, companies are realizing, maybe I don't need to buy this office every month, 100% of the time, maybe we should meet for uh, two days a week where we can do our collaborative working, um, we can do our presentations, our pitching, um, and then we can work from home for three days a week. So I think smaller companies are realizing, actually, there's probably cost efficiencies to be had by moving to a more remote working setup. And I think that will that will happen for big and small organizations. Um and I think that flexibility is 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 incredibly important. Um I think uh we're seeing the the demand for office space and um and and meeting space and co-working space I think decline. We know that. Um we don't quite know what the, the true economic fallout is yet. Um from this, but we know that I think p- people feel we can downsize and we can lead a much more flexible and mixed, uh, type of working life.
0: What do you see that doing to the traditional tenancy and to, um, to, to, you know, how might that reshape places like the city of London or like Canary Wharf?
1: So I, 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 I think it's going to move. It's going to force a um, a greater segmentation of the product. If the product say the the product is an office or a meeting room, um, at which you originally let at you know a, a year or five year or ten year um, on a ten year lease, we're I think we're going to see that shrink. So we're going to see the demand for smaller space for less time, um, and a lot more flexibility. Um, be integrated into the leases. so I think the companies that will capture um, new business will be the ones that will be able to operationalize effectively the um, the I guess the reduction in the offering and the the pay as you go kind of offer. so so for example, a small company instead of having an office, a 10-person-sized office for 100% of the time. They will buy um, a meeting room on Mondays and Tuesdays from 12 till 5, and they'll want to pay for that. They won't want to pay 1,500 to 15,000 pounds a month for a permanent office space that's just not occupied because half your team is working from home most of the time. So I think we'll see a reduction in the size requirements and also the timing so it'll be it'll be much more um, like kind of pay as you go uh, office offering, and I think people want to they want to be in different places. So we don't always want to come to the same place. We want to be surprised. We want to learn. We want to go to this tech tech cluster. You know, we might want to spend some time in Old Street. We might want to spend some time in King's Cross, which is an interesting new cluster emerging. There's um we want to spend time in Canary Wharf, and I think we might see these kind of office networks forming as well, where people meet in different places. And I think that could be, that could be beneficial.
0: When you describe this, I'm thinking of, you know, timeshares in Spain or like chalets where they rent out your, you know, ski lodge when you're not there or golf, golfing clubs where your membership allows you to golf at various places. Are there, are there models that, that you think people are are looking to? Cause it doesn't quite sound like the Airbnb model. It doesn't sound effective to have this piece of space that you leave, you know, that may or may not be empty or does it, or is it, or is it another, is it an Airbnb for offices? Well, I know a
1: number of companies that are, that are <laughs> developing that offering, which is great. Um, there is space for that, uh, companies that are, um, yeah, that are about kind of uh, booking.com, booking.com for meeting rooms. And you can just book in these short, um, short stays, which I think there's a, there's a market for, I think as you get old, a larger as a company, you may need some storage space. You need, you may need technology infrastructure. You may need, um, other types of. Uh, equipment close by. So it does make sense to have a single destination, but you might not want to use it hundred percent of the time. So you might see spaces being broken up into here's the company storage space, uh, that that we will always have. And then here's where we meet and we will be as people inside a room together. Um, so I think you, I think there may be a kind of decoupling rather than All of the equipment, storage, data capacity being within that office, you might decouple certain things and that will allow the people to be flexible and the working to be flexible, but for there to be kind of central um, space where resources are kept.
0: Among this conversation, I think it's like a a hugely exciting conversation, but I also have this, you know, feeling, what does that, that question about what does this mean for the places, the surrounding places to have people coming and going and to have, you know, for the neighborhood and for the quality of those spaces. And are there questions around what, what that will mean for, for the places and how you, um, how you construct that environment around it? I think it,
1: I think it's, it's, No doubt, it's it can be. The pandemic has had devastating effects on places like the city of London, which can feel like a bit of a ghost town now when you walk around, or it hasn't over the last year. Um, But it's also creating opportunities for places like Bristol and Leeds and Birmingham, Manchester, and and smaller smaller cities that um, people are attracted to because of the cost of housing and the cost of living is lower. The access to education and green space and healthy living um, is is better and people are moving out to those environments. And so creating new types of working spaces and new types of little micro economies in these other cities. And that's that's an opportunity. So there's kind of a couple ways of looking at it. Um, yes, some of the the the, the mega centers of activity. I think about bank station, because I used to work in banks. So going going there and remembering the buzz and it's just the intensity and um of that. Um and I think there'll always be reasons to be there be in those types of environments. But it's creating opportunities for other cities um and places that aren't involved in the the mega capital of london which is 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 quite a good thing
0: you mentioned Leeds, and I know we had. Um, I know you've been involved in some of their plans, I believe, in in terms of shaping. And I think what's interesting is to talk. You mentioned specialization and that being important, and I know Leeds has kind of looked at how you bring together some of um, uh, compa- you know, complementary industries and provide them space. But we get to hear about that specialization and 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 how you go about planning um, and attracting, and how you even choose uh, what. <laughs> What you're going to specialize in mm-hmm. great question so
1: we tend to start with a market analysis exercise where we're looking at what are the strengths of the cities and the region um, and oftentimes you might you might start with what are some of the traditional industries that have operated here um, how are those changing um, how can we create an engine of innovation in those particular industries you might look at universities and look at the specialisms around their research strengths, their academic programming, um, that the staff there, you might want to focus on one or two uh, real focus areas there. You will look at industry players, so what kind of companies are working in the region. And then you'll look at uh, the talent pool and how how that is developing um, and looking at the ambitions of local innovators and entrepreneurs. And I think it's very important to build on the strengths of the region and try to access um, those strengths from an industry standpoint um, and also from a cultural standpoint. um, And and that's, that's the starting point of any kind of industrial strategy is, is trying to figure out, well, how do we, how do we take the resource pool and the talent pool that we have and bring, bring in some other inspiration resources, infrastructure programs, government funding to, to spur that in the right, um, in the right direction. Um, so that's where we would start when we're thinking about industry specialization and, um, and Leeds for example, has got a number of opportunities. Um, you will have seen the bank of England announcing they're going to Open an office in Leeds. Um, They've got an interesting media sector with Channel Four operating there. Um, So there's arts and media activity. Uh, The Leeds University has great strengths in life sciences, and there's a life sciences uh, innovation district forming uh, in the Leeds city region. So there's a few industry verticals, um, and I you don't have to pick one, but a few industry verticals, and I think focusing energy and resources on those is, a, is quite a good thing.
0: Do you need public funding to do that? Is it really important that, that, that you have a kind of public funding strategy to help that happen?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I think, I don't think you there are uh, innovation districts which are organic and develop because there's a, sp- a special uh, set of resources or a special set of um, assets so for example cheaper real estate or studio space creates a kind of creative cluster um, in that space and um, and that funding is very important because it's kind of primes the pump for the sector. And it's, it's, it's I think it's critically important to help
0: younger companies um, get to market more quickly. How do you um, have the... How much of it is about bringing in new people from um, other places through having these specializations? And how much of it is about... How do you ensure that you're also delivering for the local community? So...
1: I think when you're making building these innovation and technology centers, care campuses, you need to have a, it needs to be accessible to those who are already in the local community and environment. So I think when you think about the kind of tierings of your offering or membership, um, you need to have a pathway that people can afford who who live there. Um, I think, I think inviting others into a city environment, I don't, I don't really believe that takes away from the local environment per se. I think that adds, it adds inspiration, ideas, opportunity, jobs, uh, better connectivity, it increases diversity. And so I think that adds to an economy or in a local community in, in the long run, uh, rather, than, rather than subtracts. But it's very important that, um, you know, with the, the debate of gentrification that you build this new fancy building um, and it's for the, this big organization and the price point um, is impossible to access for people who've been living in that area for a long time. You know that that's a, a, a common uh, tension in in developments and redevelopments projects, and so I think you need to think about how do we service the local community, um, and more and more I think developers are trying to address that uh, and, and have a community engagement strategy and create yeah create these tiers um, that are. Uh, accessible. Uh, I, I think it's it's critically important as part of the innovation and technology uh, ecosystem space that you reach out to communities, not just local communities, but across the regional communities to say, here's what's on offer. Here are the skills, here are the jobs, here are the opportunities, um, and there, the, here are the support services. And 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 we're here to, to to help you on your on your business journey and that's that for me is is very important i was part of our project in leeds uh, we were just running a, a build program it's called build and it's basically for Um, diverse uh, founders from across the region who would never have access to the networks or the opportunities. Uh, And we, we designed a highly practical program. There was physical space on offer, although we didn't use it this year. Um, And uh, it was it was a support supportive um, business development program um, provided to people who would never have at, had access to it um, in the first place, and I think those programs that reach out to groups that have are underserved, whether those as women or um, from ethnic minorities or from ethnic groups that aren't a minority but have been underserved. Um, I think those are critically important to activating your real estate and to and to making sure it's um, accepted by the location that it's accepted and embraced as a positive um, addition to the, the city.
0: What do you think we're going to be taking forward from this digital, fully digital experience that many of us had um, through work? What do you think that are um, that we're going to carry forward, and how that might change if you're thinking about, you know, creating a kind of um, a tech environment or a, a specific industry tailored in your as part of your city development plan? Uh, has has anything significantly changed about the way you're going to structure or think about that plan through this experience
1: yeah i think i think we we now all expect um more flexibility from our working environments and that you know some of us have to um Drop our kids off at school and pick them up, and and then get back online at seven or eight PM. I think we are being more we're more socially flexible with one another, and those the, ex, the previous expectations about being always on, being able responding immediately, um, are are perhaps being challenged, which is a fantastic thing. So it allows allows for better balance, better work life balance. I think. Um, And so uh, so I think that's, that's really an important part of what's happened here. I, I think we'll also value the social connection more. I think we are all living in a, well, frankly, we're all Quite traumatized by what's happened over the last year and a half, and we need people and restaurants and places to work together, and we need to be together, and we need to process what's happened socially, economically, health-wise, and I, um, I think we we create we're craving connection, and so when. <laughs> as this as lockdown eases as we emerge to workplaces and to public spaces and to um leisure spaces again um i i hope uh i hope that will create uh uh will have a really p- positive impact on our our general general mind frame um because i i think i think we're all craving that i think we're all craving the the real <laughs> positive psychological and social benefits of being in a city environment and feeling connected and feeling um feeling like there are resources at our disposal um I don't know. I feel like I've uh, lost my train of thought here because it's quite a profound, I feel it's a a profound personal realization that um, we need, we need to be together. And we, I don't think we acknowledged how important being in the same space and sharing a a community or sharing an office space or sharing a building was to our lives. And I think it's so, the other thing that I think is, has been missing for young people, um, for people who are just getting into their careers is so much of our working experience so much of our skill development is observed it's just observed it's not formally taught it's not scheduled it's observed it's like uh, things happen by osmosis between people and we've we've been deprived of that and so there's a psychologist I was listening to the other day she was talking about "We're, we're skin hungry we've got this need for proximity to people now and, and I hope our spaces can foster that in a safe way and make people feel safe at the same time. Um, uh, but I think it's, it's, I think we're all craving that. And so okay. <laughs> as, um, as lockdown eases, I think, um, we'll all be very grateful to come back together.
0: Will we want to be in an office together? Or will we want to just be in a restaurant? That's the question that I keep asking.
1: <laughs> we'll want to be. We'll want to be drinking cocktails yeah. <laughs> in a pub garden together. Um, yeah, I think there's a bit of yeah community in community spaces is is important i think i i I think we'll want to be in all of them i think we've we've missed out on a lot of professional experience you know the social experience um and a lot of the entertainment and the um the energy and surprise that cities give us
0: a lot of what you do i see as a kind of storytelling i mean you tell a story about level 39 and you tell a story about the olympic park and these were That was just the floor of the building or that was just a space in a former Olympic park. But, um, you know, Plexus and and um, and level 39 became um, the idea of uh, uh, of a cluster, you know, the idea that and and I I guess that's a question around. around telling the story of a place and what it's for and what it's, um, and who it's for and who belongs there and and what it's going to do for you. And, and the importance of that, um, I feel has only been heightened at the moment because we need to tell new stories. and, And when you can't show up and see it, the story becomes even more important.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, it goes. It reminds me of uh, Simon Sinek's book. Start with why. You have to. It's not the what. You're not selling. We're not talking about space or office space. We're talking about why we need to be part of this and why this matters to us and um, what's the, what. Are, what's the kind of purpose statement, and I think that's very important um, to. Creating compelling locations and places, uh, and also that that stories are the basis of our identity, the identity of a location, and and also how we what we relate to, where we're not really relating to the to the walls, um, we're we're relating we're relating to what's happened here before, and how that and what we're doing here together now, um, and I think. I think that storytelling is, is is absolutely critical to creating identity and meaning in in our locations.
0: Well, that just leaves me to thank you for sharing your story with me today. Um, it's been a huge, wide-ranging conversation. I've really in, enjoyed picking your brain about the future of these places and what's going to happen.
1: Thank you so much, Christine.
0: Thanks for listening. Our podcast is produced by Simon Mercer with music by Fortet. If you like what you hear, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com thedeveloperuk. You can sign up to our newsletter on our website, thedeveloper.live, and check out our live events on making more sustainable and equitable places at festivalofplace.co.uk. Thanks a lot. See you next time.